To the Bulwark Goes to Hollywood. I am Sonny Bunch, culture editor at The Bulwark. I am uh, pleased to be joined today by Tom Schoen. Uh, Tom Schoen is the film critic for the Sunday Times, uh, and he is the author of five books, including Blockbuster, How Hollywood Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Summer, uh, and Martin Scorsese, a retrospective. For the purposes of this show, uh, most importantly, he is the uh, author of The Nolan Variations, the movies, mysteries, and marvels of Christopher Nolan. Uh, Mr. Schoen, thank you for being on the show today. Really appreciate it. Oh, I'm pleased to be here. Thanks for asking. Uh, so I, uh, I, one way I judge a successful book is if it encourages me to go out and buy another book. Um, and your your book has accomplished that feat. I went out and picked up the uh, collected fiction of Jorge Luis Borges uh, after after reading because I was I was very fascinated to learn that uh, this is this is one of uh, Nolan's most uh, most recommended authors, one of his own you know kind of muses. And I I, I, I want to start by by talking a little bit about how. Uh, in, interrogating an artist about another artist is always a very interesting and tricky thing. And I'm curious uh, how, how you went about it in this book and, and what you learned from his, his work and his method. I mean, it's so interesting you should pick up on that. I mean, the fact that he was uh, a big kind of Borges reader was the first thing that I fastened on when I met him in 1999. I just thought it was very unusual taste, you know, for, for a filmmaker to have. So that was immediately what caught my interest. Um, and when it, you know, when it came to writing the book, he didn't want a uh, biography. So, uh, but I, but so what was it going to be instead? And I sort of thought, well, what if I just take all his kind of influences and uh, inputs and, and and inspirations and so on, and sort of, if you like, kind of write his biography through them, you know, because I know in my own case, and, you know, I'm sure in your own, you know, when you fasten on like, a filmmaker or a, or a writer in your sort of teenage formative years, it's really, it says a lot about who you are. Um, so it's got a lot to do with your identity. So I just assumed that the same had to be true, you know, like tenfold, you know, for him, you know, as a kind of emerging kind of artist trying to find out who he was. So I figured that the, 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 the tastes and his kind of canon, if you like, I had this idea that he had a, a personal canon and, um, you know, and that if you could go deeply enough into that, you would just find out, you know, enough about him. So that was the, the basic idea. Um, and uh, so, you know, talking to him about, you know, these, I mean, he was very, the, the great thing about it is that it's very, it's a level playing field because when you're a fan of somebody, uh, I mean, he spoke as a fan, you know, he spoke as a film goer. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, and so that was something that was just very easy for me to kind of relate to, um, you know, because in that instance, we were kind of equal. So that was the thrill of it. Um, you know, just sort of uh, talking about these these films that had had a kind of big influence on him or books or whatever it might be. Um, and sort of, you know, being very approachable way of talking about him anyway. Yeah, I mean, it, it's interesting to uh, reading your book, you know, one of one of the one of the big themes in Nolan's work is identity. You know, what is who who are we? What do we uh, where do we come from? That sort of thing. And and one thing you picked up on is the his uh, attachment to both uh, Borges and Raymond Chandler. Mm. Um, and and they're they're the, the kind of 
uh, the the synchronicities that y- you see in in their lives with with Nolan's. Um, yeah. And uh, what you know when you're when you're when you're sitting here analyzing his work, you know how does that how does that kind of play into it? I I, I find it's tricky to you know say of a director he grew up this way. Uh, so it obviously influenced this, this, and this, but but there there is still an element of that. Yeah, I mean, you've you've picked up on the other really, I think, like uh, interesting, uh, you know, kind of taste of his, which is Chanda and the two Borges and Chanda. They're the sort of the two that I really honed in on the most um, for precisely that reason, you know, which is that like uh, although he wasn't always uh, entirely cognizant of it there was something in the kind of biographies of both of those writers that mirrored or echoed elements of kind of Nolan's own kind of upbringing and background. And, you know, I guess I was sort of, it's, it was just a case of like seeking out like, you know, like for, for uh, in the case of Chandler, he did know that there were a lot of kind of similarities. I think, you know, the fact that Chandler lived in Chicago and then in London and had attended, a, it wasn't exactly a boarding school, but a kind of a day school, of you know uh, a similar kind of stature as his and and he did know about that um he uh, but uh, he was less he'd done he he was less uh, sort of on top of like Borges's biography but he you know he knew the stories obviously and read them millions and millions of times mm. um and was a little bit more surprised in a way by the echoes that Borges's upbringing and Borges was kind of moved around a lot as a kid and he kind of went around the world several times and exiled from you know, uh, from Argentina and then finally returned when he was 21. And a lot of that kind of echoed the way that Nolan had sort of moved around the world too. Um, and I don't think he was sort of, he necessarily had, had made that connection before. Uh, but I thought it was kind of interesting that like the two biggest people for him uh, were, were people who'd, who'd shared some of his experiences. So, um, you know, I, I kind of worked on the assumption that if I was ever talking about Chandler, I was really talking about Nolan. <laughs> mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's, uh, it's interesting. I mean, I, I, uh, again, I, I strongly recommend if, if people want to kind of get a, a, a glimpse into, uh, Nolan's, uh, uh, you know, I don't know, uh, uh, resources, artistic resources, uh, the, the collected fictions of Borges is, is fascinating. I haven't had a chance to read the whole thing, that, uh, but every time I flip to a story, I'm like, Oh yeah, I can see, I can see this. I mean, one in particular, I was, I was just reading this morning, uh, the garden of forking paths. Um, I was, I was just like, okay, yeah, I can see time as the, yeah. as the kind of infinite and, and wily enemy of our, of our age. It, it, it fits in perfectly with his yeah. uh, body of work. Um, it's wild. I mean, it, uh, yeah, sorry. Go, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah. I was going to say like, you know, uh, Borges is one of those kind of influences that was sort of, it was so great on it that it really went beyond like this story on that film. Although there are those correspondences, you know, mm-hmm. um, uh, between, you know, the stories and the films, but it really was a case of like a kind of, um, uh, what's your word? Like a, uh, a, a, a sort of twin soul, you know, he was so similar to him that the influence kind of overflows any one film or book and is literally almost in all of them. I could say, you know, you could simply say, you yeah. start reading his work, his work. You're like, oh, this is incredibly like Nolan, you know, and it was sort of Esh is the other one like that, where I was like, 
the influence of Escher was just so great that it, 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 you know, it's like which film wasn't influenced by them? It was an easier question to, you know, answer a lot of the time. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, uh, so, uh, I, this isn't an entirely, this isn't a literary, uh, podcast. Let's talk movies here. I, one, one thing I was, I, I, I'm always, I, I'm always interested in the backstory and kind of business of how these things come together. Uh, so, you know, you, you, how, how, first off, how did, how did you get access to Christopher Nolan? How would, uh, you know, what were there, were there guidelines? Was it just like, okay, he's going to be in New York for a couple of days. Let's grab an hour. I mean, how did the, how did these series of interviews come about that formed the backbone of this film? Sure. Or book? Sorry. Yeah, no, I mean, it was, it was basically, I would, I kind of went over to LA and we had like a, a, you know, over a period of several years in the end. Um, but we would have like these sessions that would last for about a week or maybe two weeks and we would just have the mornings and he was at the time he was writing Tenet so um uh you know he uh, would just sort of write in the afternoons and in the mornings when I didn't sort of meet with him um and we would sort of meet up at like nine o'clock and go for sort of three hours and then by the end of three hours you know both were a little bit tired but it was really just a series of back-to-back you know uh, interviews at the his sort of he has a sort of production facility like in you know uh, near where he lives so it was like so that that's where it took place um, and you know and then after that uh, you know it was more a case of like uh, you know there were kind of follow up uh, mm-hmm. views um, and then I had to wait for he went and made Tenet and then I sort of met up with them again after that so that was the last interview was like in December of 2019, um, you know, when he was in the editing room on, on that, with that film. Um, so all in all, it was over a kind of, you know, more or less a three, three year period. Um, and it felt, you know, it felt pretty endless, you know, but I'd been, I, but as I I met, I met him first in 99 because I'd interviewed him for a magazine about Memento. And then we'd, you know, done as is often the case if you sort of do sort of entertainment journalism for long enough you sort of often recur with people and you hear like i'd interview them then again for, Inter- for interstellar and then again for dunkirk and mm-hmm. time i would sort of say hey you know what about a book and each time he would say you know i don't think i've made enough many enough movies yet but then he made too many movies <laughs> and he his argument like <laughs> crumbled and he uh, and he kind of caved um, but, you know, I mean, he's perfectly accessible, you know, in the sense that, you know, he sort of uh, jokes that he's the most accessible kind of reclusive director in America, meaning, you know, although he's very private about his own life, uh, he, you know, he does interviews and he's accessible to journalists and he, you know, whenever a movie comes out, you'll, you know, he'll help promote it and so on. So actually reaching him wasn't sort of, you know, uh, you know, too difficult. But, um, but yeah, I had to sort of work on him to sort of get him to trust me to do a kind of larger sort of mm-hmm. um and it helped that i'd sort of done enough i'd been around the ring you know with him enough times collaborating on sort of you know journalism pieces and one in particular where there was just a lot of you know collaboration and back and forth and i think it just sort of meant that he you know felt uh, like he could kind of go forward with the book yeah i you know it's it's I'm sure it was tricky talking to him in terms of, you know, what talking about uh, what the movies mean, analyzing them and analysis of it, because, you know, at, at one point uh, in, in your book, you mentioned that, you know, part of the part of the appeal of Christopher Nolan and one of the reasons he is 
become one of the big uh, brand name filmmakers in the last 20 years is because there is a uh, an uncertainty or an ambiguity uh, to his to his work and and ambiguity in a good way, not in a, you know, what 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 does this mean? Who can figure it out sort of way? Uh, and, I, you know, was was it did it ever get frustrating? Did it ever get you know, was it was it ever tricky dancing around the, you know, tell me what you tell me what this movie means you uh, know, sort of questions? Yeah, I mean. I mean, I sort of like, uh, I sort of found out pretty quickly that if you kind of ask him point blank, you know, why why are you so interested in time or, you know, any of these things, those questions, I think because he's been asked them so many times, don't necessarily get you very far, um, you know. Uh, and I found that the sort of uh, the head-on approach, you know, with it just didn't sort of work so well. Um, you know, he's very... Yeah, he's resistant initially, at least resistant to the idea. He's a kind of big formalist, so for him, you know, he, he when he if left to his own devices, when he describes his movies, he'll sort of describe them as kind of genre pieces um, that uh, where you know there's not necessarily some content or theme that he's trying to express or something he's trying to say. He's just creating an effect in the audience, and you know that's his. It left to his own devices, that's how he describes it. Um, but then you're like, well, if that's true, how come you keep returning to these themes over, you know, like time or identity or whatever it is, again yeah. and again and again? So there was a sort of, there was something wrong with that account. You know, I didn't, I was like, well, there's definitely some element of personal expression here that isn't uh, just simply a genre exercise. Um, and, you know, I, the question for me was how to kind of coax that out of him. Because I think one of the reasons that he's, you know, as successful as he is, is he's learned how to relate and talk to uh, the studio heads who give him the money to make the movies. And I think he's learned just instinctively that the one the one word they fear the most is artist. <laughs> you know, like that's the one word they don't want to hear <laughs> when you're yeah. watching a two hundred million dollar movie. So everything about him is a, is really about sort of making sure that there's nothing scary going on here folks there's no element of like me getting obsessed with this theme that simply has to come out of me and i'm just gonna get to it however i can that is a, is distressing noise to like a studio executive so it comes cloaked in um you know well this is what we're going to do to this genre this is the audience we're going to get with this and so that's how he talked but I didn't really buy it in the sense that like I, as I say, these themes were there and there is an element of obsession there and there is something driving them that is beyond just a, a studio kind of filmmaker. Um, but, you know, but it's uh, I thought I came to think of it as a bit of a, he had like a, a shadow. So he had like a twin, you know, uh, yeah. that he, there was another Nolan somewhere under there um, that really was much more kind of, uh, there's an artist actually to tell the truth. I was trying to out the artist Um he was very resistant to that, that idea. I mean, obviously, it sounds great, you know, and he liked the the the, the sound of it. But you know, but he he's trained himself not to think like that. Um, so I had to kind of, you know, try and coax it out of him. Sure, sure. I mean, I you know, it's it's interesting that you bring up talking to studio heads and getting you know gi essentially giant checks to to uh, play about with, and and it 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 is. 
Uh, I, I I'm curious, uh, you know, when you're when when you were talking to him about the business of filmmaking, um, as opposed to the artistry of filmmaking, you know, what his what his take on the whole studio system is, what is you know how how he is uh, able to do what he what what he does, which is you know make giant personal films, which sounds like a contradiction, but it, that is that's what he's been doing for twenty years now. I know, it, you know, I couldn't I. I wish I had a kind of easy answer to that. I mean, it's definitely the thing that's fast, most fascinating. Giant personal films is like a really good way of putting it. I mean, uh, how does he get it past them? I mean, I don't know. I mean, I think he one thing he said was like, he sort of learned early on that if he learned to tick a certain number of boxes, they would give him the freedom to do what he want, wanted. So in other words, if he had certain things covered um, in terms of, let's say, the amount of action there was in a movie or the amount of kind of the, the ease with which they would be able to promote it or whatever it is, if he had those, th those bases covered, that they would leave him up to, up to his own tricks. And um, so that, was, that definitely lodged in my head. The other thing he said was that he's very transparent with them up to the point where he kind of starts shooting. So he's not at all secretive with the um, uh, what his plans are, uh, you know, what, what what he plans to do, what the script is. Um, and he goes in and he just repeatedly will sort of pitch every, almost every inch and corner of the film to them um, so they know exactly what they're getting. So he's incredibly transparent in that respect. And then once he starts shooting, it's different and off he goes. But by that point, they kind of trust him. I mean, you know, I don't know. I mean, he's he's there's a certain amount of transparency. I think there's a certain amount of kind of maybe also deviousness kind of going on. I think like, you know, but I think he realizes that like they've got other things. They've got other dramas going on in their, li in their life, in their business life. Um, he just needs to give them no reason to worry. Um, and they'll kind of leave him alone. And I think ultimately maybe his sort of run of successes has kind of helped him enormously in that. Like, um, I mean, I think after The Dark Knight, uh, they more or less kind of gave him carte blanche to do what he liked, you know. Um, mm -hmm. uh, and, I mean, they didn't say that um, in so many words, but he understood that that was the case. Um I think maybe the trick now for him is sort of like how he recreates that, the the opposition, you know, like, because when you're a young filmmaker and you're trying to persuade someone, you're going against the grain, you're fighting, to, to, you know, to, to win them over. And, the, and then the moment they then become yours and they start saying yes rather than no, the question then becomes how do you recreate that? Because it gives you great discipline to have to, fight and to and to persuade and it, it enforces its own kind of um discipline on the film so what do you start doing when when people start saying yes more or less all the time mm -hmm. um and that's where he kind of relies very much on like you know emma thomas his wife and jonah his brother and his kind of collaborators if you like to kind of keep him in check uh, mm -hmm. but uh but yeah like he, he but he definitely like works well i mean he's just got that really weird i i just the word double jointed kept on coming up for me i was like he's got this really strange and miraculous double jointed ability to you know please two sets of masters on the one hand the studio heads uh and there's no harsher set of taskmasters but then also his kind of muse you know at the same time um 
and it's a really strange sort of skill set, you know. But he has, yeah. um, uh, you know, I, it's 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 kind of the thing that like those, you know, the crit the 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 critics, you know, who came up with auteur theory in the sixties, the French you know, film directors who were also film critics and writing about auteur theory, that was the quality they kept, they, they, they were, they themselves found most miraculous about the Americans, you know, all the movies that they were now watching. They were like, God, it's so incredible that they're in the middle of the, the, the heart of the machine. And yet they're kind of making these films that like have this kind of thumbprint or voice or, you know, vision. Um, mm-hmm. And it's definitely true of him. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, uh, uh, I, it's, it, this is, it's, it's just such a, it's such a weirdly ineffable, uh, quality. And, and there's obviously something to him, uh, you know, specifically. I, one thing that I picked up on, uh, you mentioned it, uh, once or twice in the book is his, his colorblindness. He is, uh, green colorblind. Yeah. Um, and, and how, uh, you know, how that kind of conflicts with, his sense of the, uh, you know, the subjective versus the objective reality, right? The, the sense in everybody's mind that they, they see the world in a way and that's the way it is, but that is obviously not the case in certain, certain regards. Um, and I'm, 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 I'm wondering, you know, what you, how you think, if you think that has played into his, his kind of artistry and, and the, the sorts of films, uh, that he has made over these years. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, he saw, he, he worked out that he was colorblind relatively young, I think, maybe like, you know, yeah, I never got the exact age, but I, it was sort of like a middle childhood, some seven or eight or something. And um, uh, he, I'm not sure whether it was at school or not, but he sort of often, he noticed that like people's first reaction whenever he told them that they was colorblind is like, Oh, look at this! That they would confront him with the very color he just told him he could see, which is like green in his case. And they would say, "So, what do you see? So, do you see that? Do you see that or not? Like, what's good? Like he and he made him feel like a freak, you know? Like, um, and it's a small thing, but like he, but he nevertheless noticed that, like, when you kind of fessed up to like uh, something like that, people's first instinct isn't is, is perhaps sometimes a little cruel. And he said that that factored into Memento when he was writing Memento. Um, you know, one of the big differences between his draft of that script and Jonah's initial treatment is that, like, when uh, Nolan, Christopher Nolan wrote it, he realized just how amazingly vulnerable uh, uh, Leonard's condition would make him. You know, the fact that he could not remember anything beyond, you know, th- however many minutes ago. Um, uh, that hadn't been in Jonah's treatment, um, mm-hmm. but kind of but but Christopher noted he know he immediately sensed oh wow people would really take advantage of that really fast and so you really get then the, the more or less the plot memento blooming from that very idea you know um so I'm not sure that it had like a kind of big impact but it certainly had like a, a an input into moment you know into memento the sort of the screenplay of sure. it um uh but yeah it's, he's definitely got a very a skeptical cast of mind you know um the sort of fear that we might be kind of trapped inside our own perceptions and heads you know drives a lot of those 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 films um and yeah it's a curious um 
it's you know it's, it's many of his protagonists not just leonard are kind of you know trapped in the, the kind of cave, the prison of their own perceptions on things and it's proven subsequently you know to be wrong um i'm, I'm gonna guess uh that it's a kind of pretty big fear of someone yeah. who's very bright like he is you know you can kind of almost convince yourself of anything um you know smart people can be a little bit dumb sometimes you know and so the idea that like your head might not be entirely trustworthy (laughs) is is a kind of one that i think is very uh you know big with him i think he remembers i think he said the shining which was a pretty terrifying movie for him for you know for that reason um but yeah like the sort of the fears of like intense subjectivity because essentially yeah you would be you know the idea of it's it, what it what it, what it threatens is isolation you know it's like yeah. you're just cast off you just you're, you're not going to be able to connect with people um and i think that is very um i mean you just look at his movies i mean they they connect with like communication connecting with people is a really big deal for him um so uh, so yeah so the fear is not yeah yeah i mean I, you mentioned him him wanting to connect with people and one thing that really comes through in your your interviews is a sort of kind of wry sense of humor there's there's this great moment when you're talking about uh interstellar um and you you were kind of questioning him about something and you're you know you're like look i like it I like it. And he and he replies, like it more unreservedly, <laughs> which which like you could I could see reading that and thinking, oh, what an what an ass. Like, you know, this is very. But it, but it, but the way it comes across to me, at least, is kind of winking and and um, uh, and playful. And, and first off, am I misreading that or was was that was that a command to actually like it more unreservedly or I, Listen, but the thing is that but I don't want to. Your basic point is right that he has like a very <laughs> wry and playful sense of humor. Um, in that moment, you know, maybe just because I was, we were disagreeing about something, I was perhaps not picking up so much on the humor at that point. That could have been me, though. Um, and things read different, they come across differently when you tell the story, as it were. So, <laughs> but, but he, yeah, but he definitely has, um, you know, uh, very wry uh kind of sense of humor i mean if you he you know he if you sort of say i will you know my favorite film of yours is inception his response is so what's the matter with the others (laughs) you know uh which is kind of a version of that you know uh, that definitely is a joke uh but it's also not a joke like you know you also (laughs) that like a bit of him is like well you know what 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 are you trying to say (laughs) like there's that kind of you know and you sense some artistic ego there you know like he's he's you know like he's he's he, he likes to think that the, he doesn't like to think of their flaws very much um and he does he's he was very reluctant actually i mean nobody is really are they nobody wants to talk about the flaws of something they've produced and i wasn't really convinced that there were sort of major you know major things wrong with interstellar but um uh but yeah like i i found him I, I found that there was a bit of a, I had a bit of a battle on my hands, <laughs> but you know, really, he actually wanted that. Like there was a version of that chapter where I was kind of being a little mealy mouthed about something and I was trying to hint maybe or insinuate that I wasn't ha- you know, I had difficulties with, with some elements of the plot. Mm-hmm. And he sort of said, look, I, I, I think you really ought to just spell this. I think you need to come at me a little bit more. Like we did another interview in fact, and he sort of said, just, to, you know, I can more or less. He just said, "I can take it. Like, I, it's not, it's not going to 
hurt you know so in that mm-hmm. sense he he was kind of encouraging and you know of of, of criticism um and you know I, there was certainly no and i'll definitely say this for him like there was no uh attempt to tamp down you know any kind of critique i might give of something you know as i say on the contrary he almost sort of wanted it to be more combustible mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. So that's you know that says good things you know for him. I you know he was a nice, he was a good collaborator. I mean I you always think oh they're you know all film directors have got to be control freaks and to some extent they are but you know they're also very good at kind of collaborating with other people and you know um, and it being a kind of playing well with others you know and he was good at that and you know uh, you know it surprised me although it shouldn't have done. Um, yeah. Well, I there. I, the reason I, I brought this up is I'm, I'm curious if, if there's any, you know, if there's any resentment or frustration on his part that so many critics uh, push back on his work as being cold or, uh, you know, mechanical or distant. I mean, this is this was part of the yeah. uh, discussion in Interstellar is that, you know, people were picking, yeah. picking at plot holes, nitpicking a little more yeah. um, than some of his other movies. And I, you know, I can I can understand him being frustrated at that after having having you know the last 10 years 15 years people say well he's such a cold clocksmith <laughs> right that you know how you know what's what's the matter with this yeah i mean he's very he's he's very um what's the word i mean i don't, he gives the impression i think that nothing that people say or the kind of criticism really gets to him like he's quite sort of diffident when he talks about it um nonetheless uh i think that being sort of i think being kind of hearing what people make of the films is a disconcerting one and i think that the cold thing in particular i mean the one stroke like I had when writing the book is I didn't necessarily think it was true you know true like I I I there's definitely emotion in the films and I you know uh, and I you know I know I knew even before Interstellar which has obviously got a wrenching kind of emotional sort of tone to it that um you know you know Memento is just a I think that kind of when when people sort of describe a filmmaker as cold I'm not sure they're kind of really describing very well something I mean a, a movie that you had no emotional reaction to at all would be um, another experience altogether. Like, an, a, a, if you simply don't engage on any level emotionally with a movie, the the first feeling you're going to have is actually boredom. Like that's mm-hmm. the, the, you know, like so when people talk about his movies being cold, I don't think they're really using the right word. I mean, unless they are also bored, you know, but I don't think they are. Um, they're talking about something else. Um, I think what they're talking about is that the emotions are often sort of very, they might be deep down below, <laughs> they might be held in check or that they might be held in back or they might be restrained in some way, um, which I guess is a very kind of English uh, thing. But being English too, and I definitely, you know, I, I could kind of identify the, 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 the still waters run deep syndrome, you know, like they're definitely there. And sometimes all the more powerful for not really being kind of expressed sort of directly or um, so, you know, that's a long answer to the question of how he responds to criticism. I mean, I think, you know, he's 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 been around enough and I think he's sort of 
you know, tough skinned enough um, uh, not to sort of care. But I think, you know, it's, um, uh, I think it's certainly made, I think it's more puzzling actually as anything else. I think it's just a little mm-hmm. mystifying because he, he can see the emotion in Dunkirk. He can feel it. Um, uh, and, and I think he's right to be puzzled. I actually, yeah, like I said, I think that I think it's not really the word people are looking for. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's sort of- I, 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 I will say that I, uh, I, I experience his films different, uh, a little bit differently after fatherhood. I mean, the uh-huh. prestige, the prestige inception and interstellar all play much differently, frankly, after, uh, after, after becoming, apparent and i i do i i I wonder if uh you know if that is not if people just overlook that whole that whole aspect to it the the father and children uh angle yeah i mean there's no question in my mind that like um that once you get to the prestige the maker of that film is married and has felt the tug of like home life and work life because that's mm. what that film is about you know like you know yeah. Gordon is sort of like is 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 trying to do both and the film is about this kind of collision of those two things so there's no question that even a film as kind of on the surface as sort of tricksy and as kind of puzzle oriented and as plot laden as the prestige reflects this kind of shift in his own you know um you know uh, family life you know, and then you get to Inception, and you think very much like the the the, the family that he's kind of created is, is very much in that film. I mean, it's mm. very direct kind of biographical references um, to his children, and that um, I think you know the thing the film that really brought that home for him was The Dark Knight because it was such a long shoot, and so he was away from them for a long time, and he really noticed that he'd missed a chunk of their you know, uh, childhood, essentially, yeah. you know, much like in we see in Interstellar, you know. And uh, so the conversations that Cobb, Leonardo DiCaprio, has with his kids back home, um, I think he said that that was very, you know, that was lifted from, you know, conversations that he'd had. I mean, not word for word, but just in, you know, the tenor and emotion of them, um, missing them, wanting to yeah. go back home. Um you know, so yeah, I think it's maybe easily overlooked. I mean, there's very, um, uh, I mean, there's he's he 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 was a father many times over by the time he made Inception, and again, I think you can you can tell. Um, uh, but yeah, like, but but you know, even Memento, I think there's gonna there's a definitely a kind of, and then yeah, Memento is kind of like that's like somebody who is the 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 express the fear in that which is the fear that you might be betrayed by, you know, their, his sort of intimate partner, who's a woman that's, you know, that you can read that as like coming from a certain station in life, uh, relatively new to uh, long-term kind of emotional commitment. And that's roughly where he was. And, you know, so they, they definitely kind of reflect him. Um, Yeah. I uh the, the one this this is my my last written down question this is the last but the uh I, I was I was very interested to hear his take on the kind of uh stateside and and elsewhere uh discussion over the politics of the dark knight and I uh you know as somebody who kind of came up in 
political journalism. This was a this was a long run. I can I the years of my life spent arguing about this with people. Uh, so when he says this is a this is a quote from your book, uh, quote, I feel very good about what we did in the Dark Knight trilogy because uh, it it has been claimed it has been equally claimed by the right and by the left in terms uh, of conversation. And I think that that I I I mean I have my own POV on this. It's neither here nor there. But I I really like his acceptance of the ambiguity and his acceptance of. Um, the ability for people to disagree about what it means uh, rather than stridently kind of saying it has to be this because there, uh, there's no shortage of movies about things that have to be a certain way. And it is it's it is pleasing to see somebody thinking about this sort of stuff um, in, frankly, you know, big budget populist popular entertainments. Yeah. Right. Like this is a this is a this is a, a welcome uh, a welcome thing is it? Is it a thing he really thinks about a lot? I mean, it, like his work doesn't seem strictly speaking ideological or political on on a explicit level, but mm. that kind of you know sentiment undercuts or under I'm sorry undergirds a lot of it. Yeah, listen, I think you're to- I mean, I think you're right that the the strength of that film is the kind of ambivalence it it has um, towards kind of you know order chaos structure chaos like he he's 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 caught between them and there's there's great ambivalence in that film and great ambivalence in him it always makes me think of like the archetypal film for this is apocalypse now and it always makes me think you know copper francis ford coppola went into that film thinking i'm gonna make the greatest anti-war movie ever and the but the script he got from john milius John Millis loved the Vietnam War, right? You know, he was the kind of, you know, smell of napalm, you know, the smell of napalm in the morning guy. And he wrote this, in the middle, this kind of incredibly kind of pro-war, gung-ho sort of movie. But between them, they create something great because the it's both a pro-war movie and an anti-war movie at the same time. And I, that, I always think of Apocalypse Now as being like the kind of benchmark of that kind of, you know, two things at once, and but Nolan is totally, you know, he's totally like that. I mean, you know, he's he's definitely like there's elements of kind of small C conservative, but then there's also you know he's socially liberal and uh, Democrat leaning, and you know, like there's sort of there's uh, and it gets differently. It gets you know the British thing is it, it factors in again a little bit. It's um, because the British political system is not quite as uh far right i would say as kind of the Amer- as the american one i kind of, i totally realized that that might be up for debate and you know yeah. um uh you know but i think you know my own hunch is that like in england he might be more conservative but that it moved to america uh, you know yes you end up being you know leaning democrat uh, mm-hmm. so so there's a blend of things going on in his own views um but very much, definitely, the film really benefits from, like, you know, because, uh, yeah, there's such a, you know, I don't know what your view on it is, but, like, I, I remember when I saw it, I was thinking, wow, this is kind of incredible. There's, here's this movie that seems to be alluding to, like, some of the darker shenanigans of kind of the Bush years. And, like, yeah. it seemed very much like a kind of um, a kind of an allegory of, like, some of the sort of ruthlessness of someone like Cheney or, you know, um, and the kind of sort of under the under the desk 
sort of dark work that needed to be done in democracy's name. Um, you know, while the people out front needed to believe in sort of Harvey Dent, um, keep their illusions intact, you know, but the real sort of bruising work is going on. Um, to me, that's how I, you know, kind of read, that's how I read it. Uh, yeah. You know, but, but yeah, equally, I, I mean, I, I yeah. You know, yeah, I, th I think that's about, I mean, I, 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 as I, I've written this before, but I mean, it's it is essentially it takes every argument during the post 9-11 era about surveillance, about, um, you know, enhanced interrogation techniques uh, yeah. or, uh, you know, uh, uh, even even extraordinary rendition. I mean, even, you know, heading off to 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 China to grab the, the financier. I mean, it, like it's 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 a crazy it's it's really it's a really interesting melange of ideas. And yeah. I. Uh, Again, I w the thing I most appreciate is him not saying like, okay, it has to be done this way or, or not done this way. Sure. Well, I think he kind of always, you know, uh, I mean, it really comes down to, I think the kind of conception of, you know, uh, Batman that he had, I mean, the, the thing that was kind of, I thought, you know, the thing that was so interesting and original about the first film um, was that Batman essentially learns his skills from the enemy, you know, and his apprenticeship is at the knee of his enemy. And I was like, that's a very unusual backstory. I and mean, obviously it's got it's something that he came up with, um, right. uh, you know, but th th there was th there was no comparable, maybe you, you can correct me, but there was, no, I couldn't think of any comparable superhero backstory where uh, essentially, you know, Superman doesn't kind of learn at Lex Luthor's knee. <laughs> uh, mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. Maybe there is an example, but I, I couldn't off the top of my head think of that. Like where, but he was very interested in having kind of Bruce Wayne go off and, if you like, learn the dark arts. You know, um, which I thought was so. The ambivalence is right there from the very beginning. You know. Um, and uh, and I think that kind of that kind of kept some of his, if you like, more liberal side in check, because he was always aware that there was this rather Faustian story that he told about, you know, somebody who went off and learned, sort of, if you like, kind of learned how to be a thug, you know, and um, overseas and made a kind of pact with the devil almost and kind of came back and uh, wasn't sure how he felt about that pact that he made. Um, you know, that to me, yeah, I mean, I think that, it goes right to the the heart of just how he conceived of that character, you know, um, and uh, so yeah, it's, it's it's to me that's what was interesting about that character anyway, just how ambivalent it was, how kind of you know, yeah, um, yeah, and, and it's on, uh, you don't see this sort of thing in uh, certainly in comic book movies a great deal, which is or at least you didn't at the time. I mean, I feel yeah. I, I don't think I'm I don't think I'm you know blowing anybody's mind here by saying that the Dark Knight really changed. Uh, you know uh, how how heroes in this sort sort of movie can be treated yeah. and depicted. Yeah, definitely. Um, although the weird thing is, I think just an interesting kind of footnote is when you press him on, like you know, the question of the pessimism versus the optimism of his sort of take on things, and he he expresses some surprise at like people seeing 
the Dark Knight as dark as it, the, you know, it, it, was the, it was the movie that kind of darkened kind of comic book adaptations, but it doesn't really necessarily see it that way. It's, it's kind of interesting. I think because he was very conscious of, at the time, trying to thread this needle of sort of making sure that it was still going to work for the intended audience, um, you know, uh, I don't think he gave too much... I, I think a lot of that stuff just came out in the wash mm-hmm. because of who he is, you know. Um, but, uh, you know, he was always trying to make sure that it didn't, at least the first one, I think the second one is a lot darker. I mean, I mm-hmm. really, I, I mean, I get the impression from talking to him that there was something kind of in The Dark Knight, the, the, the movie The Dark Knight, that he kind of, loosed something in that film in the joker that like he was a little uncomfortable with <laughs> and that was kind of cool like i was like wow yeah. it, it didn't occur to me that like that would be the case but he 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 found his legend and directing that performance really un- to be a very uncomfortable personally uncomfortable thing and i was like but how can it be i mean aren't you i was assumed that he was good that his response i was like but isn't it just enormous fun to kind of like let a character like that loose, like the the freedom of him walking in, letting off those kind of, you know, it's like it's, I felt there was such exuberance, you know, in the performance and such freedom that like he had to be getting off on that in some way. And he said, no, no, scared the life out of me. <laughs> yeah. you, you know, like, and I was like, okay, all right. I, I believe you now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, a testament to Heath Ledger, who, you know, did something with that character that I don't think anyone was expecting. Yeah, uh, for sure. Definitely. You know, and, you know, and I didn't, you know, obviously, I, I I've never, I'd never met Heath Ledger when he was alive, but, a, you know, a very kind of gentleman, by all accounts. And, um, you know, and he was often kind of coming back to Chris and sort of saying, you know, is this okay? I mean, like he just felt almost like apologizing, I think, for some of the things he was having to do. Um, and, you know, and they were kind of just, he, he, and he was sort of helping him get to that other place. But it was as uncomfortable for Nolan. That's, it was so weird. Yeah. I, I, I literally didn't believe him when he told me that. I was like, oh, he's just telling me. But he really was. Yeah. The Joker terrified him. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, that's... I, I get it's it's such a it's I uh, I have I could go on all day about the Dark Knight. I'm not going to though. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna move on. I there was there was a photo today. We're taping this on Tuesday. We're taping this on Tuesday. A photo this morning uh, hit the wires. Christopher Nolan back in movie theaters. Uh, you know he is uh, he was in a he was seen in an AMC auditorium in Burbank uh, taking in I believe Judas and the Black Messiah. Obviously, this is a big thing for him seeing, you know, uh, this has been a big, big cause for him keeping the theatrical experience alive. One of the things I greatly love about him and, and, and admire about him and his work is his 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 efforts in this arena. Um, and I I, I, I I am curious if you have any insight into his reaction to the whole tenet uh, you know, release fiasco for lack of a better word. I mean, I, I got to see it in an IMAX cause I live in Dallas, oh. uh, Texas. So I, I actually got to go see it in theaters. I was very happy, very, very pleased. But I know a lot of people, frankly, just weren't able to, my friends who live in Washington, DC, weren't able to, mm-hmm. my friends who live in New York city had to travel, you know, out to Connecticut or New Jersey or wherever to go see it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, folks in California, I, I, I'm just curious if there's, if there's any insight you can provide into, you know, kind of where, uh, how he feels about how all of that shook out, shook out, how it how it all went down. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I now I should say before I attempt to answer that that like, 
you know, because I left him in the editing room in December of 2019 and then went off to sort of put the polishing, you know, the finishing touches to the book, I never kind of conducted an interview where I sort of talked about that kind of incredibly arduous post-production he had and, of course, the arrival of right. coronavirus and, and whatnot. But we did, you know, in when, you know, publicizing the book, have enough time to sort of talk here and there about it. And, you know, my general sense was he, he was distraught by one thing, which was that he thought that the film industry was taking the lo- the wrong lesson from it. Um, you know, there was this sort of sense that the coronavirus was accelerating all these pre-existing trends, uh, you know, so for instance, the sort of move towards streamers, you know, stri- you know, a- and away from theatrical releases. And he, I think it sort of pained him that the, the, some of the changes that were being affected to kind of cope with COVID were going to turn out to be, if not irreversible, then just giving away precious ground, you know, um, so I honestly think that, like, he, you know, had just even more extra reason just to think of, you know, COVID-19 as just being his nemesis almost. I mean, it was not only mm. a dangerous, deadly disease, but, like, something that was also taking away something very precious to him, which is that kind of theatrical kind of window that sort of movies have. And it was eroding it in his view. And so I think that's kind of why you saw him come out so strongly when they, you know, uh, said they were going to move, you know, Dune um you know and release that right. um you know uh, so the way they are they still going to do that I, I can't, are they... my under my understanding is warner brothers is still releasing everything uh in on hbo max and in theaters simultaneously through yeah. through the end of the year i mean i always hope that they would sort of enough time by the time they got to it that you know there'd be enough theaters open for them to reverse that decision but anyway um but yeah so i think that's that was one of the that's one i think the only time i can ever think of actually where i saw um him not only speaking angrily in public but speaking angrily in public about you know warner brothers and yeah uh uh, or more particularly, the people who own Warner Brothers, and so you know, it definitely, you know, hit a kind of pressure point, um, and touched on, you know, as you said, it's a very important issue to him. Um, so, you know, so, so yeah, I think, um, and of course, you know, it screwed up the release of Tenet. Like there can be no uh doubt about it at least in this country i you know it, it had a luckier time in the uk because it just happened to coincide with this kind of the, the theater's opening and there was like a, a period of just a few months where it just cleaned up and it was a sort of runaway hit uh, and there are other countries around the world where it kind of did kind of great kind of typical nolan business but yeah. it definitely got like taken out the knees here um you know that's that's definitely uh that's that's, that's gotta yeah. it's gotta hurt um yeah yeah it's too bad i you know uh it, it was great on imax if you if you can still find it somewhere folks go yeah. go watch it now that theaters are reopening hopefully it'll get a, a re-release uh here in the next few weeks uh well well that was everything i wanted to to ask you um i uh i always like to ask my guests at the end of the the show if there's anything i should have asked if there's anything you would like to talk about uh uh related to your book or otherwise uh you know uh i i i, I leave the floor open to you okay uh, uh, to close things i mean 
Yeah, I mean, it definitely, I mean, I think I'll just sort of end on like, you know, um, that I was just really surprised, you know, at like um, how well he kind of collaborated on the book with me. Um, and, you know, I wasn't necessarily expecting it. You know, we had our kind of back and forths, you know, for sure. Um, you know, I, I found out that when you get notes back from Christopher Nolan on something you've written, the, the, the swearing doesn't start until page 100. <laughs> like, up until that point, it's just kind of like, well, you might consider this. And, you know, what about that? But after page 100, it's like, this is ridiculous, you know, or whatever, like the margin. And you're like, oh, okay. Um, so we definitely had that process went on. Um, but at the same time, I was really impressed by like the fact that he was able to kind of remove himself as the subject of the book and give me advice that sounded a little bit more like the kind of thing you'd expect an editor to say, um, almost as if he was not the subject of the book at all. I remember mm -hmm. there was one note where he was just like, you really found your voice in this chapter or whatever. That's the kind of note that you just, you know, it meant a lot. Um, because it meant I could sort of like isolate what was good about that chapter and kind of then try and repeat it. It was the inception chapter. And, um, mm -hmm. but then, but again, it was just kind of like, wow, he's almost talking like he's not the subject of this book. It was kind of like, cool. Yeah. It was like, so I got a sense of, you know, the fact of him being able to sort of step outside of his skin to some degree. Um, and that, that he had this kind of objectivity. Um, and so that made it great because he just continued to, to sort of work with me and um and i think it kind of i just it, it really benefited from that it really did there's no question um so you know yeah like uh, that that was the big surprise for me um was how great a collaborator who he was and you know there was a sort of you hit on it earlier on there was a kind of playfulness to him uh that came out in some of our kind of conversations and it comes out, you know, I think in the book, but like the, and it's there in Inception. I mean, it's, it's a very playful film. Um, and, uh, and so that was, that was the side of him that I kind of um, sort of fondest of um, and will sort of take away with me was, uh, was, you know, just how well he kind of played, you know, played with others. Um, so. Yeah. There, there. If for for people who have not yet read the book, and you should, you should. There will be a link link to it in my the emails, show notes, whatever. Uh, but the, there's this very funny kind of. You have this running, almost competitive riddle uh, with him in the, in the book. I won't spoil it for anyone here. You got to read it. Uh, but it's 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 very entertaining and kind of again gives you kind of an insight into his his uh, his his mind and his method and your own. Uh, thank you very much for being on the show, Tom Schoen. Uh, the book, again, is The Nolan Variations, The Movies, Mysteries, and Marvels of Christopher Nolan. Uh, you can get it at Amazon and wherever books are sold. Uh, very, very highly recommended. Um, I will be back next week with another episode of The Bulwark Goes to Hollywood. See you guys then. Mm -hmm.